If you haven't been able to tell, we are currently really close to a little day that we come up to every four years. I think it's called an election. Um, and so to st this morning, we're going to stop and we're going to be very careful. And please, um, as we go through today, remember this. I have no intention as a pastor um, trying to help you figure out who you should vote for. I figure you guys are old enough and have done your own research, and it wouldn't matter what I think anyhow, you guys are going to vote for who you're going to vote for. But I do want to stop and talk about something, though, that as we come close to election seasons, that we begin almost, I don't know if you say unconsciously feel, or is put upon us, we begin to have a lot of fear. I've noticed, um, and this really has nothing to do with the election, but with, with the whole season we're in, I, I've noticed that as I've been on my Facebook account lately, I have a whole lot of friends, and I've got friends who come from all walks of life, from every political persuasion, from every thought process you can imagine. But I've got a whole lot of friends right now who are starting to put stuff up on Facebook. And, uh, you know, if, if you're wearing a mask, you are being afraid. And I really don't know how to take that because I try to be responsible and I try to wear a mask and try to do the right thing as I go out. And I begin to think about it and I, I kind of think, well, what does that mean? I mean, there's this part in me that stops and says, well, you know, God does allow us to have a bit of fear and he puts that emotion in us to help keep us safe. I know with my little kids when I was, Adam used to let them run around the backyard uh, we used to have a thing called snakes that would run around in a, well, I don't know if you'd call it running around, but we'd have snakes that would crawl around our backyard, and I was constantly on the lookout to make sure my kids did not get under any snakes because they scared me, and it was a way of me protecting them, and so I'd always, if I saw them, I would shoo the snakes away, chop the heads off. Now, you weren't really supposed to do that, but um, I figured if they were in my yard, I was claiming this territory. Um, Anyhow, and so I kind of stop and I, I kind of think, well, fear, is it bad? I mean, a part of it is, is there to protect us, right? And, and then I look at it and I think, oh, I don't know how to take this from my friends who are telling me because I'm trying to be careful that I'm afraid. Because I, every day when I go out and I get in my car, I take my seatbelt and I slide it across and I click it in. Not because I'm afraid, but I'm just trying to be responsible because I've seen the outcomes of what happens when people don't do it. And so, fear. We kind of peddle in fear, and especially as we're getting ready to come to elections, it sort of gets peddled at us even more. No matter what your political persuasion is, no matter who you're going to vote for, there is fear being pushed at us from the other side. We're to be afraid of everything, and it doesn't matter which side you're on. Um, right now, we're to be afraid of, I'm not sure, just about, I kind of started writing down some of the things that, that I've seen over the last few, I was going to say weeks, but it's actually been months. The election season kind of goes on for a long season now. And so I began to write down, what are some of the things that I've started seeing people talk about and things that we're supposed to be afraid of when Here's what I kind of just come up with and just briefly. We're supposed to be afraid that things are going to change or we're supposed to be afraid that things are never going to change. It doesn't matter which side you're on. You're, you're supposed to be afraid of it one way or the other. 
You're supposed to be afraid of losing what you have, or you're supposed to be afraid of never getting anything. It doesn't matter where you're at. You're supposed to be afraid of one of them. You're supposed to be afraid that your government is going to spend too much, or you're supposed to be afraid that your government's not going to spend enough. We we're supposed to be afraid that everything is going to be centered around our cities. Or we're supposed to be afraid that they're putting too much power in rural communities. We're supposed to be afraid of politics and religion. And we're supposed to be afraid of religion and politics. We're supposed to be afraid that the youth are getting too much power. Or we're supposed to be afraid that the seniors control too much. We're supposed to be afraid that things are over-sexualized or we're supposed to be afraid that things have gone too gender neutral. Now, literally, if we could stop and talk a few more minutes, we could continue this on. Everything we look at, everywhere we look at, one of our politicians is uh, telling us, you are to be afraid. I hear a little buzz there, so if you don't mind, I'm going to pull that down a moment. No matter who you are going to vote for, I guarantee you the other guy is going to tell you your world is now coming to an end. We are being told that the only way that we are going to be saved is if we vote for a certain guy and he's going to get into office and he's going to save us. Now, again, I do not intend to be political this morning. I don't really... I don't, and I'm, maybe I should reword this. Who you vote for is a matter of your personal conviction and, and what you're going to do. But I do want to stop and I want to talk about this idea of fear that we live in. You see, fear is one of those things that is given to us to help protect us. But if we're not careful, fear that is not kept in check becomes hurtful. We're given fear to help keep us to watch out for things, to look out for things. But when we don't keep our fears in check, they begin to cause us to go into areas that we were never intended to go. You see, when we, we allow fear to begin to control our lives, we begin to become afraid over things that might happen. We, we can lay in bed and begin to worry about, I might get into a car accident. We can lay in bed and begin to worry about, oh, I wonder if I mailed in the check and, and I wonder if my, my electricity is going to get cut off. We can lay in bed and we can worry about, I, I, I think there might have been a spider in the bathroom when I saw it tonight. And fear, it begins to allow us to begin to worry about the things that might happen. That spider might bite me. And the problem with fear that when it's not kept in check is that not just that it begins to consume our minds about what might be, it begins to control our actions. When we don't get hold of our fear, when we don't allow something to calm us, then we begin to allow our actions to take control. We begin to do things such as, I, I can't go out. I'll have an accident. If I go to the grocery store, I just, I can't do it. We begin to lay awake worrying all night where we no longer get any sleep because we're worried about maybe the, the check is going to bounce. I know I wrote it, but, but, but maybe, maybe it's going to bounce. Or we begin to do things such as we, we, we 
go in and we lock the bathroom door so no one can get into the bathroom so no one's going to get bit by that spider. We start doing things that are a little irrational. What's even worse is that it's not just that it begins to cause us to act irrationally, it begins to paralyze us where we stop even doing anything. We stop doing the grocery stop shopping and going to the doctor's office. We stop doing exercises and visiting with people. You see, when we allow fear to control us, it can control us. And so fear, though it is helpful and it can help protect us, irrational fear actually paralyzes us. Now, as our final weeks of our election is coming... Almost any and every media outlet you're going to turn on is going to be bombarded with a fear message. It doesn't matter which side you're on. There will be a message, and for some reason, we seem to respond better to fear messages. That's why they continue to do it, because that's what we respond to. And so this week, as we got a couple days left, you will not be able to do anything without getting many, many more fear messages. But as we come to this day, this moment, I can guarantee you one thing. Someone will be elected. Half of you will be excited. The other half of you will be afraid. And how should we as followers of Jesus Christ, how should we live? I mean, how should we respond? Well, I think real quickly as we come to this moment, and I just want to stop. I, I've been thinking about what the Apostle Paul told Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, Paul told Timothy this. And I think this is really helpful for us during this season. And Paul tells Timothy, and he gives Timothy some advice, and he says this, Timothy, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, I want to say this. I love Paul's advice at any time. In fact, I really love Paul's advice when I've been working on something and it's sort of been going what it's supposed to be doing because I have this thing in the back of my mind, my mind that says, yeah, God hasn't given me the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound determination. And, and so when, when I'm in the middle of a project and things are kind of halfway working out, I love this verse. But here's the reality. When Paul wrote this verse to Timothy, things were not quite working out. Let me explain a little bit. When Paul wrote to Timothy, right now, Timothy had been working with Paul for a little over a decade. He'd already been on a two, three different missionary journeys. Uh, two, we know for sure. He'd been through two different missionary journeys with the Apostle Paul. He had seen the Apostle Paul beaten, He'd seen the Apostle Paul had stones thrown at him. He'd seen the Apostle Paul verbally abused. He'd seen the Apostle Paul getting thrown in prison. And each time he's had the Apostle Paul seem to somehow bounce back and get out of this scrape and find himself in another place talking about Jesus' death 
and resurrection all over again. However, when Paul writes to Timothy this time, the apostle Paul's not really bouncing back. You see, he finds himself in prison one more time. He's actually in Rome. And to make matters worse, Timothy's not there. That's why he has this letter written to him. Timothy's in the city of Ephesus. Paul had sent Timothy to Ephesus to oversee the church there and the problems that were going on. And so he'd sent Timothy to Ephesus. And he's kind of feeling lonely. If you read through the whole book of 2 Timothy, you kind of get this little bit of a, I I hate to say, it's it's almost like a, a letter of longing towards Timothy, Timothy. My heart is just, I want to kind of share some things with you that I need to tell you before things don't work out the way they're supposed to. Timothy, I don't have that bubbly spirit like I normally do. And so I want to be straight and I want to be honest with you. And so as we read through the book of 2 Timothy, you kind of get this forlorn, and I hate to use that word, but you see Paul in a very serious contemplative mode. And as he writes this, he says, Timothy, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Let me kind of let you in what's going on. At this moment, as Paul's in prison, there's an emperor who is on the throne of Rome called Nero. Now, about two years before this, the city of Rome had burnt. Uh, you ever heard the expression watching Rome, what, I forget how, you know, watching Rome burn as the fiddles play? There was a rumor going around that as Rome burnt, Nero stood on his balcony watching it, playing his fiddle. We know that at this time, Nero is kind of slipping into madness. And as Rome burns to the ground, The people of Rome are upset and they're mad and they begin to almost blame Nero. Now Nero finds a scapegoat and a new group of, or a new sect, this new religion coming through that had kind of sprung up all through the Roman Empire and they were called Christians. And so he began to blame the Christians for Rome burning. It was their fault. They started it. It was their fault. They worship a God. It's their fault that they they don't honor Rome like we do. And he began to round them up and imprison them. In fact, we're told that Nero would impale the Christians that he would capture and he would impale them on a pole to the road to his palace and at night he would light them on fire to light the way to his palace. And so as we're seeing that along, Paul's looking at the reality of where he's at and he knows there is no coming back from this. You see, what had originally been a little bit of centralized persecution of the Christians through different communities all of a sudden became a statewide state-sanctioned persecution. And so Paul's sitting in prison looking at this. In fact, we know not too long after he writes this letter, he is finally put to death. And in the middle of all this, Paul looks up to Timothy and he knows what's going on. He knows what's about to happen. And he says, Timothy, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, 
but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You see, there was something that caused the Apostle Paul to look up and say, you know what? I don't have to be controlled by my circumstances. It doesn't matter who the, who the emperor of Rome is. It doesn't matter that, that Nero is running around chasing down Christians and capturing them. It doesn't matter that I'm in prison and that I'm not going to come back from this one. I'm not going to bounce back. There is something bigger than all of that. And I think this morning as we come to an election period, I think we need to be reminded of what the Apostle Paul looked at and where he got his perspective. Number one, he began to stop and he began to live without fear because of this. He saw that, number one, there was something more damaging and hurtful than whoever was leading the government. You see, Paul understood that there is a problem that sits much closer to home that hurts our relationship with our spouse, that hurts our relationship with our neighbors, that hurts our relationship with our coworkers. In fact, it goes so much worse than that. It, in fact, it breaks our relationship with God himself. And it lies within us. It's our heart. And so Paul begins to look up and he understood that there is something that is far more important than whoever is going to sit in our government. In fact, he says this heart problem is so big. In fact, I want to go ahead and read what he wrote to the church in Rome. And he said this. As he's talking about the heart issue, he says, But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth, and instead, the and instead live lives of wickedness, there will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil. In other words, what Paul is saying is that I've realized there's something that is so much worse than actually having a government who can take your life. And that is standing before a God who will judge us according to what is in our hearts. You see, Paul was more concerned about an eternal consequence, not a temporal reality. Paul had come to the same conclusion that Peter did. Peter wrote earlier, or in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, we read what Peter wrote. And Peter wrote and said this, And there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. So in other words... Number one, Paul had come to this conclusion, there is something far more damaging than who sits in government. Number two, he kind of came to this conclusion. There is only one who can actually heal the heart. You see, originally Paul had found himself in a place before he became a follower of Jesus Christ where he was concerned with his political standing, he was concerned with his religious standing, and he had kind of gone out of his way to make a name for himself. He had stood up, he had used people, he had, he had done some horrendous things in order to get his career farther. And God really had to get him into a place to say, Paul, that is not what you've been called to. 
Eventually, God woke Paul up so that he came to this conclusion in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. And this is a longer passage, so just bear with me a little bit. Paul finally wrote this, and he said, I once thought all these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as, as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with him depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. See, Paul's original thought was this. My ambition will get me where I want to go. But he found out it only darkened his heart. He had to come to a conclusion that the one who died and rose again was his only hope for healing what was inside. You see, here's the reality. Paul was more concerned with our eternal separation from God than he was ever concerned with a government that was about to sit on the throne. So, number one, Paul saw a bigger picture. He saw that the heart was broken worse than what our government is, and that's pretty bad. Number two, he began to stop and he, he began to see that there is only one hope for us, and that is found in Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross. Number three, he began to do this. He began to believe that the most important task we have is, is not changing governments, but in changing people's hearts towards God. When we gave our lives to Jesus Christ, it wasn't it great to be forgiven? Do you remember that moment? Okay. Some of us gave our lives to Jesus Christ when we were real, real young. And so we kind of have lived most of our lives with sort of, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. But for some of you, you gave your life to Jesus Christ as a little bit of an older person. And you remember that moment when I've been forgiven. My past is not who I am. Who I was is done. It's back there. I don't have to look at that anymore. Jesus says there is now no condemnation to those who are in him. It's done, it's gone. He says he stops and he gives me a brand new start, a clean slate, and says you're clean, you're washed, you're forgiven. And there's something absolutely amazing and wonderful about that realization, that moment. But what happens two months later, three months later? Well, life still happens. We have a moment of saying, God, thank you. I'm, I'm, so, I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful for what you've done. But then life happens. In other words, we still got to go to work. The bills still have to get paid. Meals still need to be made. The dog still needs to be walked. The bathroom still has to be cleaned. The lawn still has to be mowed. The car still has to have the oil changed in it. 
And pretty soon we begin to live lives of normality. And in the meantime, the ads still come. You need to be afraid. You need to be afraid. And pretty soon our minds and our thought processes begin to hit upon simply where I'm at. Now, this is not about criticism. It's simply saying it's the reality of where we all live. We live in a real life. We live with bills. We live with things that we are responsible for. But Paul says the greatest thing that we have to do is not to worry about our government, is not to worry about our bills, is not to worry about... He says there is something that is far greater than all these things that we get caught doing. And I, he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. No longer counting people's sin against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. In other words, the Apostle Paul said, I have found that the greatest, most important thing that we have is to help others come to know him that as he comes in and heals our hearts and forgives us and provides a way for us that is what we're called to share with others you see it's easy to want to get to argue over who was the greatest rock singer it's easy to get to want to argue over who's going to be playing in the super bowl it's easy to argue about who was really the best baseball team last season. It's easy to argue about who's going to wash the dishes. It's easy to argue about whose responsibility it is to do. And it just, I mean, it's, it's easy. Life happens. In this sort of season of our life, it's easy to argue about who should be our president. But Paul said far more important than all of these is that you have a relationship with him. In fact, that we have a relationship that before we get caught arguing with and cutting down or hurting our relationship with people, remember someone else's relationship with Jesus Christ is more important than whichever government is going to govern. You see, Paul says that in the middle of sitting in a Roman prison knowing that his life is about to be taken. And he can say, there's something more precious, more valuable than my comfort. And that is that others come to know him. Look, I want to say this. It is important that we vote. I, I want to say, if you haven't voted, I encourage you to do it. It's important. It's important to try to stop and say, as much as is within our power to make life better for other people, that's good. That's what we're called to do. But there is something far more precious, far more important than whoever will sit in our White House for the next four years. And that is where will our friends, where will our neighbors, where will our families 
spend an eternity. You see, when we stand with the perspective of what really will be, what is going on for the next four years begins to slightly come back to reality. God has called us to be a part. He has called us to do what we are supposed to do. But then he stops and tells us, hey, do not be afraid of what's going on around you. Don't allow the circumstances, do not allow the ads to begin to control your minds for there is something so much more important. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, I love what John wrote. I'm going to close with John's. John wrote in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. He says this, there is no fear in love. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in the end. Or has not been made perfect in love. In the end, it's not really going to matter who wins the election. What will matter is our relationship with Jesus Christ. Do what you're supposed to do. Get out, vote. I encourage you to do it. But in the end, do not let it hurt your relationship with someone else that causes you to stop and say, you know what? Who I care about in the White House is more important than their eternal destination or their relationship with Jesus Christ. Don't allow our preference, our viewpoint, to keep someone else from knowing Jesus Christ. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, this morning, Lord, right now as we come to this pointy end of our election in our country, and Father, there's been so much divisiveness, there's been so much fear, and Father, it's important. We, we do understand the reality of how important elections are. But Father, when it comes to the reality of where we will spend an eternity, when it comes to the reality of where our hearts are at, when it comes to the reality of where my neighbor's heart is at, when it comes to the reality of where my family's hearts are at, Father, we understand it holds, it, it just, it begins to fall. It begins to fail. And Father, we just pray. Help us to keep you, what you did for us on the cross, at the center of who we are. Help us not to live our lives in fear. Father, we understand that, yes, there are things that we should be concerned about. But, Father, help us not to allow irrational fear to change who we are. But help our minds to be solid, be set upon who you are. In your name we pray.